I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. When the phone rang around 11 p.m., on the morning of August 15, 1980, Peter Bogdanovich assumed it was his live-in girlfriend, Dorothy Stratton. Dorothy had left their Bel Air home at 11 a.m. that morning, and Peter had not heard from her all day, which was unlike Dorothy. As the hours ticked by, Peter grew concerned, as Dorothy had gone to meet her estranged husband, to discuss a financial settlement for their impending divorce. Dorothy had left her husband for Peter, but she still wanted to be fair to him, so she had finally agreed to discuss the matter face to face. Peter had never met Dorothy's husband, but his reputation preceded him. Paul Snyder was a sleazy hustler and a former pimp that no one liked. He had discovered 18-year-old Dorothy Hoogstraten working at a Dairy Queen in Vancouver, British Columbia in 1978 and had convinced the shy, naive girl to pose naked for Playboy magazine. Now, just two years later, Dorothy had been named the 1980 Playmate of the Year and she was already on her way to a successful acting career. In fact, Peter Bogdanovich, a well-respected Hollywood director, had just cast her in a new movie, and the two of them had fallen in love during the filming in New York. And while Peter was twice her age and had had several long-term relationships... He had never encountered anyone like Dorothy before. She was an intoxicating combination of sensuality and vulnerability. Early in their romance, he presented her with a little unicorn pin because he said that her purity and grace reminded him of the mythical creature. The couple were excited about their future together. As soon as Dorothy divorced... They planned to marry. But Peter also knew that Dorothy's husband was not going to go quietly. Dorothy was Paul Snyder's meal ticket, his golden goose, and he thought Dorothy owed him. Peter and Dorothy 
had discussed the situation, and Peter had offered to pay Paul Snyder off. Maybe a $100,000 check would make him go away. And Dorothy's mother, Nellie, was concerned that Paul might get violent. But Dorothy was confident she could deal with Paul and assured both Peter and her mother that he would never harm her. She still cared for him and did feel indebted to him. She knew he had been hurt, so she wanted to be kind. So when the phone rang in the final hour of August 14th, Peter hoped it was Dorothy calling to say that she was on her way home from her meeting with Paul. But it wasn't Dorothy on the line. It was a male voice that Peter instantly recognized. It was Hugh Hefner, the publisher of Playboy magazine. Why was he calling so late, wondered Peter. Dorothy's dead, Hefner said, his voice trembling. The words reverberated in Peter's head. The phone receiver slipped from his hand, and he fell to the floor. Dorothy was gone, and his life would never be the same. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true story of a woman whose life was brief, remarkable, and tragic. She was one in a million, a natural beauty, and a promising young actress. She was on the verge of fame and had just found true love. But then she was murdered before her life had barely begun. This is Death of a Dream, the Dorothy Stratton story. This is the Hollywood dream. Dorothy was his guilty. He looked like a flat. Using Dorothy to Peter Bogdanovich. I worked in a Dairy Queen for four years. I lived on the farm. I was a, I was a straight-A student. I was very shy. Um, I never dated boys. Really, I never went out to parties. I was straight, very straight. The first time I went to Los Angeles to shoot for Playboy, I was my first time on an airplane. Playboy's motto is the girl next door. They look for girls that are wholesome and fresh and young and, and naive. They look for all of that. So most of those girls uh, do have that type of background. 18-year-old Dorothy Hoogstratton was indeed exactly what Playboy magazine was looking for when they first caught sight of her test photos in 1978. Of course, they didn't know then that her boyfriend, Paul Snyder, had begged and cajoled the naive teenager into posing for the photos. They just knew that the shy girl from Vancouver could be a star and quickly set about grooming her for success. She was put on a strict diet, given a new hairstyle and a new name. A three-year contract was signed and Dorothy was now a member of the famous Playboy family. And the family's patriarch, Hugh Hefner, took a special interest in his newest playmate. He'd met a lot of pretty girls in 25 years at the helm 
of the popular men's magazine. But there was something very special about Dorothy. She was beautiful, smart, and she could act. In just two years, she had gone from posing nude in the pages of Playboy to television roles and feature films. Hollywood was taking notice and people were comparing her to Marilyn Monroe. Her success as a legitimate actress could help bolster Playboy magazine's image as more than just a skin magazine, and Hugh Hefner could take credit for launching a star. But now she was gone, murdered by her jealous ex-husband, who couldn't stand the thought of Dorothy moving on without him. He had discovered her, therefore, she owed him. And if he couldn't have her, no one could. Paul Snyder had carefully planned Dorothy's murder. He spent weeks trying to obtain a weapon and finally purchased a 12-gauge shotgun the day before the murder. Then he called and harassed her until a trusting Dorothy had finally agreed to meet with him at their former home in West Hollywood. And when Dorothy showed up, Paul already knew that she would not be leaving. When the Los Angeles police arrived at the house after being notified by Paul's roommate, they encountered a horrific scene. And it was obvious that both Paul and Dorothy had been dead for several hours. Ants were already crawling around both naked bodies. Dorothy had been bound, raped, sodomized, and shot point-blank in the face, likely within an hour of arriving at the house. The tip of her left forefinger had also been shot off in her last desperate move to protect herself. She died instantly. It appeared that Paul had then moved her body onto the bed before kneeling down on the floor and aiming the shotgun at his own face. Mark Goldstein, the private detective that Paul Snyder had hired to follow Dorothy, arrived at the house just before the police. He had known about the meeting between Dorothy and Paul and had been sitting outside of the house that morning when Dorothy arrived. When he called Paul a few hours later, Paul told him their meeting was going well. But Dorothy was likely already dead. Now, 12 hours later, a shaken Mark Goldstein was answering questions from homicide investigators. Did he know Paul Snyder had purchased a gun? Had Paul ever threatened to harm Dorothy? Goldstein claimed to have no knowledge of what Snyder had just done, but he knew he had to let others know what had happened. Mark Goldstein called Hugh Hefner to tell him that Dorothy Stratton, his up-and-coming star and Playboy Playmate of the Year, had just been murdered by her ex-husband, who Hugh Hefner had banned from the Playboy Mansion just days earlier. Hefner hated Paul Snyder, 
but couldn't believe what Goldstein had just told him. The blood drained from his face, his secretary later recalled. How could Dorothy be gone? Hugh Hefner called Peter Bogdanovich. When Peter Bogdanovich received the late-night phone call telling him Dorothy had been murdered by Paul Snyder, he was working, sitting in a studio in his house with two work colleagues. They were editing the film. They all laughed that Peter and Dorothy had just finished shooting in New York. Peter couldn't wait to show the world how talented she was, but now she was never coming back. Peter was on the floor while one of his colleagues was on the phone with Hugh Hefner. The details were few, but enough to know that Dorothy had died a violent death. It would be months before Peter Bogdanovich would be told the horrific details of what Dorothy had suffered during her final hours. After receiving the shocking news, Peter's first thought was Dorothy's 12-year-old half-sister, Louise, who was staying at his house during her summer vacation. Louise worshipped her older, famous sister. Peter couldn't break the news to her, so he lied and told her Dorothy had gone to New York for work. Then, he made sure the young girl was kept away from the television as Dorothy's murder had spread like wildfire. The brutal killing of the 20-year-old playmate was headline news. Something like this had never happened to Playboy. The death of Dorothy Stratton comes as a shock to us all, read the official statement from Playboy publisher Hugh Hefner a few days after the murder. As Playboy's Playmate of the Year, with a film and a television career of increasing importance, her professional future was a bright one. But equally sad to us, continued Hefner, is the fact that her loss takes away a very special member of the Playboy family. Playboy editors scrambled to pull photos of Dorothy from the next month's magazine, but it had already gone to print. Later, they removed her from the cover of the 1981 Playmate calendar and scrapped a Christmas promo featuring a naked Dorothy with Hugh Hefner. The founder of the men's lifestyle magazine was said to be personally devastated by Dorothy's death, but his company, Playboy Enterprises, was in damage control. Fingers were already being pointed at the magazine that claimed to celebrate the female form and support sexual liberation. But was there more to the Playboy philosophy and their mass publication of perceived female perfection, a commodity to be bought and sold? And was there more to know about Dorothy's meteoric rise to fame and her tragic ending? Paul Snyder had pulled the trigger, but had others ultimately contributed to her exploitation and death. On August 22, 1980, 
eight days after her murder, Dorothy Stratton was laid to rest at the Westwood Village Memorial Park in Los Angeles. As her cremated remains were lowered into the ground in an oak casket, mourners stood frozen in an awkward circle surrounding the gravesite. Dorothy's mother, Nellie, had made the decision to bury her daughter in L.A., so she would be close to those who had truly loved her. Most importantly, Peter Bogdanovich. Nellie had never met Peter before Dorothy's death, but knew that he was the only man who had ever made her daughter happy. As for the other men at the funeral that day, Hugh Hefner was there, as was his most senior photographer, Mario Casilli. Casilli had worked for Playboy for over 20 years and had photographed Dorothy on multiple occasions. He remembered how she had cried during their first session. After her death, Casilli quit Playboy and never accepted another assignment that involved nudity. Dorothy's father, Simon Hoogstratton, was also at her funeral, although he had not seen his daughter since she was four years old. When she was 18, Dorothy had reached out to her father, inviting him to attend her high school graduation, but he had never bothered to respond. Dorothy had confided to Peter that she didn't like her father, but now, in his grief, Peter wondered if Simon Hoogstratton had been around while Dorothy was growing up, would she have fallen prey to the slick charms of a hustler like Paul Snyder? His body had been flown back to Vancouver for burial, far away from the woman he had murdered. Dorothy's final resting place would be only a few yards from another sex symbol who had died tragically, Marilyn Monroe. Peter Bogdanovich had lost the most cherished love of his life. Her murder left him devastated. He felt responsible. Why hadn't he realized that Dorothy was in danger? If he had known more, he could have saved her, kept her away from Paul Snyder. He would never forgive himself, but as he worked through his grief, he would come to realize that many others had let Dorothy down, and one person in particular. But Peter Bogdanovich also knew that he wasn't the only person deeply affected by Dorothy's death. He soon made contact with Dorothy's mother, Nellie, and invited her and 13-year-old Louise to live with him permanently in Hollywood. Ravaged by grief, Nellie had refused to talk about the murder with anyone, including her young daughter, Louise. And she couldn't bear to look at pictures of Dorothy. There were other problems as well. Nellie's third marriage was failing, so she accepted Peter's invitation and moved to Los Angeles in the spring of 1981. The people who had loved Dorothy the most would mourn her loss together. Peter spoiled Nellie and Louise. He wanted to take care of them and give them many of the finer things in life they had never been able to afford. He paid off all of Nellie's debts 
and enrolled Louise in private school and modeling classes. The young teenager was also given a baby grand piano and had a private tap dancing teacher. Peter also arranged for Louise to have surgery to correct her protruding jaw, a defect caused by feeding difficulties shortly after her premature birth. She also had the shape of her nose altered. The surgeries made a significant change to Louise's facial features, and those who knew the pudgy teenager best thought she now looked more like her famous sister. Louise and Nellie returned to Canada in 1982, but Peter remained a constant figure in their lives. For most summer vacations and holidays, Louise traveled to Los Angeles, sometimes accompanied by her mother, sometimes not. And when she was in Vancouver, Louise would call Peter every night, collect from the phone he had had installed in her bedroom. He was the only person she could talk to about Dorothy. And while Peter Bogdanovich wanted to be there for Nellie and Louise, he had something else that was taking up his days. Peter had begun writing a book about Dorothy. Sitting in her old room, surrounded by her untouched collection of unicorns, he would write for hours at a time, recalling every detail of their five months together. He wanted the world to know how much he had loved Dorothy and how special she was beyond the naked images in Playboy magazine. But more importantly, Peter wanted to expose the truth about how Dorothy had been used and exploited, first by Paul Snyder, a low-life hustler, and then by another man, far more powerful, his friend, Hugh Hefner. During their love affair, Dorothy had confided in Peter about things that had gone on at the Playboy Mansion when she first arrived in 1978. Hard truths that were initially difficult for Peter to reconcile. After all, that was where he and Dorothy had first met. Peter had been a frequent visitor to the famous Tudor estate and was a good friend of Hugh Hefner's. But after hearing what Dorothy had experienced, and now that she was gone, the Hollywood director knew he needed to expose the truth. In 1984, Peter Bogdanovich's explosive book, titled The Killing of the Unicorn, Dorothy Stratton, 1960-1980, was published. The memoir was just the latest in the continuing publicity about her life. In the four years since her murder, Dorothy Stratton had practically surpassed the fame she had attained in her short life. Less than a year after her death, Playboy magazine had published a lengthy story. She was the subject of a television movie called Death of a Centerfold, a feature film directed by Bob Fosse, called Star 80, and a Pulitzer Prize-winning article in The Village Voice. But now the man who had loved Dorothy the most 
was revealing a much different story than what had previously been told. Peter and Dorothy had only known each other for 300-odd days, but they had shared a once-in-a-lifetime love in which Dorothy had finally felt safe to share her deepest emotions and fears. This was her true story. The Killing of the Unicorn was a passionate account of their love affair and her murder. But in writing a memoir about Dorothy's life, Peter was forced to confront his responsibility in her death since he had been the man who took her away from Paul Snyder. He should have known that they were playing with fire and he should have protected Dorothy. But Peter also blamed Hugh Hefner and the Playboy lifestyle for contributing to her death. If I had to confront my own responsibility, there could be no way to ignore his, Bogdanovich wrote of Hefner in the opening pages. Dorothy could not handle the slick, professional machinery of the Playboy sex factory, nor the continual efforts of its founder to bring her into his personal fold, no matter what she wanted, he added. Peter characterized the founder of Playboy as the Walt Disney of pornography and wrote that Hefner had to bear part of the responsibility for Dorothy's death because the Playboy philosophy encouraged the commodification and victimization of women. Playboy, the director said, turns every girl next door into a hooker. Bogdanovich claimed that Hefner had pressured Dorothy into doing lewd poses for the magazine and that he had also sexually assaulted her at the Playboy Mansion on the first night she stayed there. Dorothy told Peter that Hugh Hefner had gotten her alone in the mansion's famous dark water grotto and had forced himself on her. She was ashamed and had never told anyone. In a 16-page memoir that was published after her death, Dorothy had written about her first few months away from home. Sometimes I cried before I went to sleep, she wrote about staying at the Playboy Mansion. A lot of men were entering my life all of a sudden, and a lot of them wanted me. No one was ever pushy or forceful, but talk can be very powerful, especially to a mixed-up little girl. And in another poem, she wrote, The Playboy Mansion is like Disneyland, where everything is available but love, and where people are the games. Peter believed that Dorothy had married Paul Snyder to protect herself from the wolves at the mansion. And while Snyder was upset that Dorothy had left him, Peter Bogdanovich also blamed Hugh Hefner for triggering Snyder's wrath by banning the sleazy promoter from the Playboy Mansion just five days before Dorothy was killed. According to Peter, being barred from the mansion was the final snub that pushed Snyder over the edge. 
In his mind, everyone had turned against him, so he had nothing to live for. But he was taking his most prized possession, Dorothy Stratton, with him. Hugh Hefner wouldn't have her. Peter Bogdanovich wouldn't have her. She belonged to him. After the book's publication, Peter set off on an extensive media tour, appearing on television news and talk shows to further discuss the dark and hidden truths behind the Playboy machine and its exploitation of women. Hefner denied all the allegations, but Peter Bogdanovich's claims had caused irreparable damage to Playboy Enterprises and to its founder. On April 1, 1985, Hugh Hefner held a press conference in which he continued to deny that his company's treatment of Dorothy Stratton had contributed to her death. And he was adamant that he had never forced himself on Dorothy. I am the publisher of Playboy, and at heart a very shy man, he said. I could no more force myself on a woman psychologically or physically than could the man on the moon. Hefner went on to say that Dorothy's tragic death was not caused by her association with Playboy, but because of her husband finding out about her affair. Dorothy's tragic death was motivated not in any way by her association with Playboy, but clearly by the breakup of her marriage because of the affair with Peter Bogdanovich. Hugh Hefner then stated that his relationship with Dorothy had always been more of a mentor and a father figure. And he was initially happy that she had found love with Peter Bogdanovich. But he said that he had warned Peter that Paul Snyder would be trouble. Snyder was a very sick guy, said Hefner. Hefner also said that while Dorothy's story could be seen as the classic cliché of small-town girl comes to Hollywood, gets caught up in the fast lane, and dies a tragic death, that was not what had happened. Referring again to Paul Snyder, Hefner said, A small-time hustler saw his meal ticket and his connection to power slipping away. She was in love with another man, And it was that that made him kill her. But now, five years after her death, his one-time friend, Peter Bogdanovich, was accusing him of exploiting and mistreating Dorothy. Faced with Peter's ugly accusations, Hugh Hefner was about to spew some of his own. At the well-attended press conference at the Playboy Mansion, Hefner stated that Bogdanovich's outlandish claims in the book had caused him to have a stroke two weeks earlier. The 58-year-old publisher was recovering, but said the stress of the past year had triggered his health scare. Then, Hugh Hefner said that Peter Bogdanovich had let his grief for Dorothy turn into an uncontrollable, unhealthy, and potentially illegal obsession. There was a pursuit of Dorothy's entire family in the months 
and years after her death, claimed Hefner. Pursuit of the mother, followed by the seduction of her sister, as a pathological replacement of Dorothy that has continued from that time to the present. Hugh Hefner was accusing Peter Bogdanovich of having seduced Dorothy's grieving mother and her half-sister Louise when they first came to live with him in Los Angeles after Dorothy's death. At the time, Louise would have been 13 years old. Hefner's claims were backed up by Nellie Hoogstratton's third husband, Burl Eldridge, whom she had divorced after moving to Los Angeles to live with Peter Bogdanovich. These were ugly accusations, and Hugh Hefner had no proof. But it wasn't the first time rumors and whispers of an improper relationship between Peter and Dorothy's younger sister had been suggested. Peter showered Louise with presents, recalled a former friend of the teenager who had visited her in L.A. She had all kinds of gold chains and all these rings, two rings on each finger. He gave her a gold and diamond necklace, and when she graduated from high school, he bought her a Trans Am. By 1984, when Louise was 16 and Bogdanovich had published Killing of the Unicorn, people in Hollywood were beginning to talk. Some even wondered if Peter had paid to have Louise's jaw and nose surgery done so she would look more like Dorothy. Two weeks after Hugh Hefner's press conference, 16-year-old Louise Hoogstratton and her mother Nellie filed a $5 million lawsuit against the Playboy publisher and Burl Eldridge for libel and slander. In an interview with a Vancouver news reporter, Louise said she barely knew Hugh Hefner and was extremely upset by his accusations. You say Mm -hmm. it's not true. It's absolutely false. He's been a friend? Friend. Nothing more? Nothing more. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Um, he's always just helped our family and family matters and helped me get through the pain and sorrow about my sister since I can't talk to my mom about any of it because she she gets really hurt mm-hmm. just by hearing her name or seeing her name on paper. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So Peter's been there for you when yeah. you needed to talk to somebody about it. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I think of is Hugh Hefner. Why? Why would he do this to you? I wish I would know. I don't know. Do you think it has anything to do with Peter? I just don't know about that at all. I wish I really did know why this is happening to me. Louise and her family had hired high-profile lawyer Gloria Elred to represent them. And I do think it is absolutely outrageous to make these kinds of allegations about an innocent young girl particularly where they're unfounded, and particularly where Hugh Hefner never even bothered to ask her whether it was true. Never bothered ever to ask Peter Bogdanovich whether it was true. 
never bothered to ask her mother whether it was true. And particularly after there was an investigation by Los Angeles police and they decided not to even pursue the case, not to make any arrests, obviously feeling that there was no case. So to go then and have a news conference and to make such a statement, I think, is really, really outrageous and, and I think does justify a high award in a court of law. And while Dorothy's mother, Nellie Hoogstraten, had never publicly spoken to anyone, she denied Hugh Hefner's claims, stating that Peter Bogdanovich was a close family friend and he had not been sexually involved with her or Louise. I have already lost something that cannot be replaced, she said. Please let it be enough and leave my family alone. Responding to Hefner's accusations, Peter Bogdanovich said he was sad and angry that Hefner had hurt Louise just to get back at him. After all that Nellie and Louise Hoogstraten had been through, he suggested that the media mogul leave the family alone. The very public feud between Bogdanovich and Hefner was a Hollywood gossip columnist's dream. The tabloids couldn't get enough of the salacious mudslinging and lurid accusations. But nothing was ever going to change what had happened to Dorothy. In one way or another, both powerful men knew that they were somewhat complicit in the tragic death of Dorothy Stratton. The slander lawsuit against Hugh Hefner was eventually dropped by Louise Hoogstraten and her mother Nellie, but the former friends, Bogdanovich and Hefner, would never speak to one another again. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Peter Bogdanovich, the once celebrated Hollywood director, had lost the love of his life and had taken on one of the most powerful media companies in the world. His grief had consumed him. It would never leave him but he needed to move on. After Dorothy's murder, Peter had put all of his energy into helping her family and writing the book. And he had also focused on finishing the movie that he and Dorothy had filmed in New York just before her death. He wanted to show the world how talented she was. It would be a lasting tribute. But the film bombed. Released in 1981, the romantic comedy They All Laughed turned into a critical and box office failure. Peter blamed 20th Century Fox for a lack of promotion and bought back the rights to distribute it himself. It proved to be a disastrous decision that cost him over $5 million. In 1985, with $21 in the bank and $25 in his pocket, according to court papers, Peter Bogdanovich declared bankruptcy, a move that further marginalized him in Hollywood. And in the years that followed, he became, by his own account, addicted to prescription drugs. I made an enormous number of mistakes Bogdanovich said in an interview years later. But you don't do rational things when somebody blows up an atom bomb at your feet. Peter Bogdanovich had made many mistakes, but his next film wasn't one of them. The film Mask, starring Cher, was released in 1985 to critical acclaim and garnered numerous nominations and an Academy Award although Bogdanovich later claimed that Cher had been the most difficult actor to work with. In 1988, Peter directed another romantic comedy called Illegally Yours, starring a young Rob Lowe. And critics were quick to point out that the film also debuted a pretty blonde actress by the name of Louise Stratton. Dorothy's shy younger sister, had taken the same last name as her famous sister and was pursuing an acting career with the guidance of family friend and mentor Peter Bogdanovich. Peter's directing career was back on track and Hollywood seemed to have forgiven him for his past transgressions. But Peter had a weakness, a tendency to fall for young blondes cast in his movies. And his latest romance was about to catapult him back onto the front pages of the tabloids. 
On December 30th, 1988, Peter Bogdanovich married Louise Stratton in a quiet ceremony in Vancouver, British Columbia. He was 49 and she was 20, the same age Dorothy had been when she died. For the Hoog Stratton family, the marriage was said to have come as a shock and Louise's mother Nellie was particularly upset. She accused Bogdanovich of marrying Louise to relieve his shame around Dorothy's death. I feel he wants her because of his own guilt, she said at the time. Look what happened to my other daughter, who got her head shot off, she said. He didn't do it, but he was involved. If he was in love with my one daughter, how can he be in love with the other one? Their marriage seemed to give credence to what Hugh Hefner had accused Bogdanovich of three years earlier, that the director had at some point initiated an intimate relationship with Dorothy's younger sister. The story made the cover of People magazine the following month. The headline read, The Tale of Two Sisters, with side-by-side photos of Dorothy and Louise next to an image of Peter Bogdanovich. But while most of Hollywood condemned the marriage, Peter's ex-wife, Polly Platt, stood up for the couple. Peter had left Polly and his two young daughters when he fell in love with Sybil Shepherd on his movie set in 1971. But the former spouses had continued to work together, and she had consoled him through his grief when Dorothy died. Polly Platt said she supported Peter's marriage to Louise. All of this is so difficult to explain, she told a reporter. Louise is a victim of all of this. We were all victims of a murder. But I feel good about this. Peter and Louise belong together. Despite the tragic circumstances of them coming together and continued criticism, Louise Stratton and Peter Bogdanovich maintained a successful personal and professional relationship. They were married for 12 years before divorcing in 2001. And while Peter Bogdanovich's personal life finally settled down, his career continued to have its ups and downs. In 1997, he declared bankruptcy again, but continued making films, none of which achieved the success of his earliest movies. He then returned to writing, and using his vast knowledge of film history, he authored several books, including Peter Bogdanovich's Movie of the Week, which offered the lifelong cinephile's commentary on 52 of his favorite films, and Who the Devil Made It, conversations with legendary film directors. And for those of us who religiously watched every episode of the hit HBO series The Sopranos, we knew him as psychotherapist Dr. Elliot Kupferberg with his jowly face and famous cravat. He went on to receive many Lifetime Achievement Awards for his contributions to the craft of movie making and inspired several young filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino, 
who cast him as a disc jockey in Kill Bill, Volume 1, and Kill Bill, Volume 2. Hollywood is a fickle town, and it had been unkind to Peter Bogdanovich, but Tinseltown would never forget him. On September 27, 2017, Playboy founder Hugh Hefner died at his famous mansion in Los Angeles. He was 91 years old. The iconic and controversial figure, well known for his silk pajamas and smoking pipe, had gone from creating a new men's lifestyle magazine in 1953 to building one of the most successful global media brands. He was said to have opened the door to the sexual revolution, and he lived a lifestyle most other men envied. And for the man who had surrounded himself with beautiful women his entire life, he chose his final resting place close to two of the women he most adored but could never have. Hugh Hefner was interred in a crypt next to Marilyn Monroe. After previously purchasing the plot for $75,000 back in 1992, a hundred feet from his tomb is the grave of Dorothy Stratton. Since his death, numerous former playmates and girlfriends have spoken about the exploitation and emotional abuse they suffered at the hands of Hugh Hefner. And a recently released documentary explores the much darker side of Playboy. Peter Bogdanovich died on January 6, 2022. And while they had divorced in 2001, Peter and Louise Stratton remained close friends. Peter was living with Louise and her mother Nellie in an apartment in Los Angeles when he passed away. In 2020, Peter collaborated with Turner Classic Movies to create a documentary podcast about his life. Forty years after that night on August 14, 1980, he recalled his darkest moment. Around 11 o'clock, phone rings, I answered it. It was Hefner. Hi, Hef, how you doing? Haven't you heard? Heard what? Oh, God, he said. This is the hardest moment in my life. He said two words. Dorothy's dead. Dorothy Stratton's life was brief, remarkable, and tragic. She was director Peter Bogdanovich would admit an obsession. I could hardly believe that she really existed, that she wasn't a dream, he said of their love affair. There was something miraculous about Dorothy Stratton. In 1983, Canadian musician Brian Adams wrote a song about Dorothy. And yes, the best was yet to come.
The best was yet to come Then lonely days turn to endless nights The best was yet to come This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app, and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.